Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one, you have to be the only one. Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. And in the studio today, I've got an absolutely fantastic guest who I think you're going to really enjoy. This gentleman's a marketing disruptor, a keynote speaker, a paleontologist, the founder of the Brand Bucket Company, author, serial entrepreneur, marketing and rebranding expert with over 550 brand launches to his name, including some really well-known uh, household names. He's also building a school in Africa. Welcome to the show, Barnaby Winter. Barnaby, how are you? James, I'm really good and lovely to be with you today. And where are you today? Are you in, uh, you in Britain or are you away? Uh, no, I'm in um, Britain um, and uh, uh, haven't, haven't been away since uh, since Christmas now, so I went and uh, did some work then. But uh, uh, no, enjoying the fine weather that we're, re- we're receiving at the moment. I'm, uh, I'm really hoping that this, this sunshine I'm seeing out my window is actually going to stay now and it's the end of winter and everything's going to be better. Um, which is uh, which is how we always want it. A school in Africa, Barnaby. What are you doing? Yeah, so um, I'm working with a, a charity called the Parenta Trust. It's part of a, a business that I'm involved in, and we have an ambition to build uh, 257 schools in uh, in Uganda. Um, and wow! We've built uh, uh, five. We've commissioned the sixth, and I have a thing about the number seven, so I have agreed to. Uh, entirely fund number seven so uh, so that's uh, that's fantastic how, how are you doing that how are you getting the funding together so uh part of what i do is i mentor uh entrepreneurial businesses and mm-hmm. what i do is i charge a nominal fee for for uh, or i just ask for a nominal uh, fee stroke donation uh, which then goes straight to the charity fund so uh, where previously i used to mentor for for free i now just say please make a donation to the uh, charity fund so that's certainly one uh, contributor to, to raising the money. And the second thing is I'm going on a, uh, a rally from Maidstone to Monaco in a car worth no more than right. £350. Pounds. Um, uh-huh. And it's a sort of top gear type event. We're going through eight different countries to get there, um, in, including something called the Fucker Pass. I think that's, I'm saying that right. Um, uh, which is, of, um, uh, um, which is uh, I think, in Switzerland or somewhere. Not even sure where it is. Um, which right. is a very steep road and narrow road that goes up and then comes down again. So, uh, so have you bought the car? Are I, you ready to go? I have bought the car, um, and it is now uh, in design because you have to decorate the car in a rather crazy way. Um, what so, is it? What have you? What can you get yourself for three hundred and fifty pounds? Well, so I've managed to get myself a, uh, a, a not a Ford Fiesta um, with one hundred and thirty-four thousand miles on the clock and a, and a bit of a noise. Um, yeah, coming from the Sounds engine. like my first car. <laughs> well, it could be my last car, to be fair. Actually. I think so. 
So what a great challenge, though. I've uh, I've seen a few people doing that recently, and I think it's a, it's a fabulous thing. Um, if people want to donate to your cause, Barnaby, how can they do that? Well, if you go into Just Giving, um, there's a, a you can find Barnaby Winter. I think is the uh, is the link. Uh, perhaps let me just give you the actual link itself. Um, and uh, so if you look for Barnaby Winter on Just Giving, then what will happen is you'll you'll uh, you'll find my page, and then it outlines. So in fact, I'm, I'm raising money for three charities so uh, I work very closely with Guild of Entrepreneurs which supports entrepreneurial businesses in the city uh, plus this plus this and also water aid I have a thing about people not having drinking water across the whole of the world so uh, so there's there's three areas to it but uh, the main focus at the moment is building the school Fantastic. Well, I think that's uh, that's incredible of you and uh, I hope you know, I'll be on that site myself very shortly um, but you know, great, great uh, luck with your journey and little, little fiesta as well. Absolutely. Barnaby, you've been involved with so many businesses over such a long period of time, and I, when I say that, I don't mean to be mean. Um, you know, but you ha- you've seen a quite, you know, quite a range of things over, a, over different businesses and different uh, and different economic cycles. What's the what's the key to building a great business these days? Um, the reality of it is, it probably hasn't changed. Um, uh, I think. Perhaps the, the mechanic for changing, for, for doing it has changed. But I think the, the the key thing is you must have a very powerful value proposition to start with. Um, right. And what I mean by a value proposition is a set of values that that absolutely capture why people should buy from you and how people can buy from you and what they're going to buy from you. Um, so, so I think that's the really the first cornerstone uh, of any strong business. Um, you've got to have mm-hmm. a great value proposition. And people talk about the story and having an idea and all that sort of thing. But actually, the, the, the challenge with both of those is that they are, they are internal out uh, expressions of, of what you're doing mm-hmm. rather than a, a buyer-in expression, which is really what a value right. proposition is. And you've got to create a buyer-in uh, value proposition. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what you're selling, even how good it is, people just won't get it. So that's really the first cornerstone. Okay. Um, and does that does that value think does the value proposition start with the business itself and looking at their core values, or is that something that they should agree is is what they're pushing out to the market? Um, the um, the the my experience over over the last thirty years has been that there are there are sort of two trains of thoughts, and there are a lot of in the marketing industry say go and ask what uh, what. Customers and clients are looking for find gaps in the market, all that sort of thing, and base yeah. the value proposition on on on, on that. I found that to be fundamentally flawed because uh, um, okay. uh, the gap might be there for a reason, um, and and often customers don't really know what they don't know, so therefore they can't really express what they're looking for. So my my view on this is very clear: you have to start with the values inside the business, um, right, uh, and. Again, you can't ask people to tell you what those values are. You have to effectively uh, derive them from what they say and then flip them so that they become things that a buyer might like rather than necessarily what a company thinks it's good at, which is something entirely different. So the process is to, to, to unearth all the values within the, within the organization and then flip them so that they're actually things that buyers want rather than necessarily companies want to tell you. Okay, and so give us an example of a business that's done that very well. The most recent um, uh, brand that, I, that I've helped create is a thing called Children with Cancer UK. Uh, 
um, and they, they're currently uh, running a, a campaign on, on television, which has done extraordinarily well for them. But the, when I was first introduced to them 18 months ago, they've been going, they were about to celebrate their 30th year, and nobody really understood what they did as a charity. Um, and although they, they, they managed to get themselves up to about £15 million turnover, they, they'd done that by employing a, a really great team who were constantly campaigning and trying to raise money. Now, what actually, um, I went in and did and said, okay, what is it you actually do? And um, we, we flipped them from, from being about uh, uh, fighting cancer in children, which is essentially what their core story was, which is what they do. Uh, they're a research charity. And we turned them into keeping families together because what actually happened is if, if you, if you, and I apologise for anybody for whom this might be a sensitive area, but if you discover your child has cancer, um, it's, it's possibly the worst thing you can ever discover. But you want as much help, and the only thing you want them to do is to survive and, and go, up, go on into adulthood, which this charity specialises in. And um, um, so we flipped it so that actually it's about keeping families together because you want the children and the parents to stay together and the brothers and the sisters. Now... The moment we did that, the whole essence behind the, the, the team that worked there, so culturally it had a major impact uh, on everybody who worked there because they weren't just driven trying to get money in from lotter lotteries and events and things like that. They suddenly now got people coming to them saying, actually, we want, we want to support a charity that keeps families together. And so that's a, 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 an example of that. Equally, you could, um, you could talk about um, uh, Argos. So I, I, I launched Argos, and that's a long time ago. Um, uh, where we, they used to produce these big, thick catalogues with lots of uh, lots of products in. And you may have them. But they used to door, door drop those, so every home in, in in the UK had one of these catalogues. And what we did is we reversed that and said, okay, well let's let's set up a campaign where we say this is a great place to come, come and collect your catalogue from an Argos, which had been redesigned and so all the products on display. So what we did is we reversed it, so actually buyers came into the store to collect a catalogue. Um, and then they saw all this amazing stuff that, that Argos did, and then that, that lifted sales as well. So you can do it in any, any space, any sector. You've just got to reverse the polarity so that actually what you're doing is you're creating something that buyers want to come into rather than you're blasting the outside world with your view of what's great about your business. It's amazing how things make absolute sense when they're explained to you, isn't it? Um, you know, there's so many, uh, so many businesses who could learn from those examples, but somehow seem to just bash on ahead the way they've always done things. Um, you know, Marks and Spencer, for instance. So, I'm absolutely convinced that by the time my kids are grown up, they'll think Marks and Spencer's a food shop um, because of the way it's, it's going. If they survive, I, you may well be right. I think. Uh be interesting to see. Be interesting to see what happens. And where does service fit within within the value proposition? Uh, so, so essentially, every single value that you are offering to people really should be a service. If that makes sense, right? Because what you're doing is okay. you're serving your values to your buyers. Um, so. So there's a, a sort of a generic view, in my, my opinion, that actually everything that you do should be about service. So your whole business, your, all of your systems and processes should be really designed with service in mind. Uh, now, I, the context I use for that is I, I, because I'm a brand man, 
I believe business is about commercializing relationships. Now, of course, a relationship is brought to life by great service because you've got to service the relationship. And yeah. to a certain extent, the, for me, the words relationship and service are sort of interchangeable. I, I'm not sure you'd agree with that, but 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 um, but they're sort of interchangeable because they're they're effectively interactions between uh, a business and people who are engaged with that business. No, I think I would agree with that. I think that um, there's a really great quote from uh, Holt Schultzer, who was from the uh, the, the Ritz Carlton Group, um, where he described service and a hospitality, and he said that hospitality, well, service is a monologue and hospitality is a dialogue. Um, and I think um, I think relationships are a dialogue. They're a communication between two people. It's not something service is not something, or service in the greater context is not something that we do to somebody, but we do with somebody and for somebody. Absolutely right. Um, I agree. With that. And that makes that makes the whole thing work differently. So I, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. And relationships are, are the key to business, aren't they? Yeah, because essentially what you're doing, whether you're producing a product or a service, what you want to do is you want to sell the relationship with that product and with that service and do that at a, in a profitable way. So you've got yourself a business. So for me, uh, uh, the brand is an expression of commercialized relationships. And that's what you should be doing. So of course, when you're building a business right from scratch, what you should be thinking is, what are we building that our buyers are going to love interacting with? And clearly mm -hmm. clearly, that impacts on, on, on relationships, service, all of those sorts of things. And how does that change in the digital economy? Well, I, th I think I think we we're all getting very excited about the the digital economy, but in, in reality, it is just another modus operandi for doing exactly mm -hmm. what we should have done in the first place. Um, I, th right. I think uh, um, all all the what what the digital economy as I was about to say all, but what the what the digital economy has done is it's enabled uh, access to business systems and processes on a much greater scale. Right. Um, so it's a scaling tool rather than it's a new way of doing things. If you actually think about it, what what um, people are achieving using the digital arena are just more opportunities to service people. So if you look at, if you look at, uh, I, I mean, I, I have three daughters and mm -hmm. every other day there is a delivery from ASOS in our, our house. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> sounds like sounds like my place, but and, and in, but it's probably just me. <laughs> it might be you. Stop getting them delivered to my house. Um, but the uh, <laughs> but um, but um, what the, what the, they they come home from school, they they do their homework, and then they go on about eleven o'clock at night, and they mm -hmm. they buy something that they want to wear the following evening, but they buy th yep. three sets of things, um, and um, what happens is they arrive the following day. They try try them on. They decide the one they're going to wear, and they send the other two back. Um, yeah. Now, okay, so what, what's going on there? That still requires the same logistics. It still requires the same uh, a, a product procurement. Um, it, it requires mm -hmm. the same stocking. Uh, it actually probably requires more stocking because you've got three items out when they're only selling one. Um, there's there's an exchange mechanic. There's all all of that is now being taken for granted. That was true yeah. of Argos 30 years ago or, or 20 years ago. Um, it was yep. true of Marks and Spencers. It was true of your local shop when on the high street. So I don't mm. think any of that's changed, but I think the, the digital economy has enabled uh, people to, to access it much more quickly, much more readily, and from the comfort of their own sofa. What, what, is, yeah. what has changed, however, is because there's a little lack of 
human interaction. People are, um, are rock violers for inconsistency in that service. So the, the trouble right. with the digital arena is you spot straight away when it doesn't work. Whereas if you're in a shop and it doesn't work, then the, the other human being the other side of the counter has time to recover that relationship because they're in a direct, uh-huh. a direct face-to-face relationship. They say, oh, yeah, so, terribly sorry, I bought you the wrong item. Just bear with me for 60 seconds. I'll, I'll go and get the right one, yeah? And you stand there and you're mm-hmm. looking around the shop. Whereas on the, in the online arena, if something you wait for something and it gets delivered into the wrong item, you just get a bit peed off. So, so I think the digital arena lacks that, that, that extra dimension of humanity, um, which, which you really need to build into your, your, your digital economy ser- service. It's interesting looking at that because I think there are a number of businesses who are very worried about how that works and trying very hard to humanise the the, uh, the interaction so that if you do receive the wrong thing, that their response rates are better, quicker, in your own language, all that kind of stuff. Um, I know from my many, many interactions with the Amazon business, um, they have got to the point now where they just take instant returns. You don't even need to print a label. Um, they're trying to kind of reduce the friction, I guess, in those transactions. Um, but you're quite right. I, I remember uh, my auntie in, in living up in Leeds who'd go into Marks and Spencer in town, get six different versions of the same pair of trousers to take home. Um, her husband would try them all on, it, and then she'd take back the five that didn't fit. Um, it's not a different thing. It's just a different way, I guess. But also that ability to buy at night. Um, I wonder whether and I'm sure there's some statistics about this, but I wonder whether the, the transaction rates in the evening are higher, where people are more relaxed, perhaps they're you know sitting on a couch at home, um, they just think, oh, what the hell, I've had a hard day, let me buy something for myself. Um, because without actually handing over cash, it, uh, it all happens much more simply. I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think, I think therefore, the, the, the nature of the decision-making process may have changed slightly in terms of the convenience is now... Is now uh, uh, rated more highly than perhaps it was previously when you but the excitement of going to the shops on a saturday and you know going through the hustle and bustle of the high street that had its own dimension as well and i think people are missing that and and you know that society is changing in such a way that you know we're Mm. we're becoming more isolated rather than than where the community is, is working so i think there's some real challenges there still you you touched on something that's uh that's really interesting because people talk about the death of the high street um, and um, I'm not sure whether it's true or not. I think that there's, there are a number of businesses that are, like, like in all econo- economic cycles, businesses come and go. Um, and for some of us, uh, you know, there was a morning of Woolworths brand, but actually for others it was an irrelevance um, and actually would be better off replaced with something that served better. I think if you're going to have people come through a door, you've got to really look at how you look after those people and how you interact with them. And that actually service and and relationship, the build of relationships in those environments is going to become more and more important. Um, do you, do you see that changing further? How do you see that? I, I think I think if 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 the high street were were a brand, I, I'd be I'd be asking it to fundamentally change its view on the world. Um, I <laughs> I the, the I think retailers who are operating on the high street are. Comp- Completely missing the point of the high street now, um, because what's happened is they they use their retail environments as simply displays uh, where you can pick up a product and go to a counter and buy it. Um, and I can do that online. 
So what's happened is the online arena has effectively replaced what the high street used to do because it'd be the only place you could do that. And instead of saying, okay, we've got an opportunity to change the way um, the high street works um, and, and reconfigure the way we do things, um, they, they just sort of vigorously carried on in the hope that actually the internet will go away. And it's complete madness. And so I, I, I mentor a, a young uh, gentleman and his wife has, has, has got a, a phenomenal bookshop um, in, uh, in, in the East End of London, in a little, a little uh, pedestrian walkway. There's about 30 shops, and she's got this book. But what she's done is she's made it the centre of the community. So she's, she's right. got, a, she's got a, a license to sell alcohol in her bookshop. So she has right. coffee and alcohol in her bookshop. She has all the books on display. She's set up the bookshop as if it, it with all tables and chairs. And you can go in there pull a book down off the shelf and read it, buy a drink, have a coffee. She runs uh, co- coffee mornings in there for mums with young children. She does book reading sessions in the evening. Uh, and, um, and what she's done is she's become a centre point of that local community. Now, imagine, James, you went to a high street where every retail environment was somewhere where you could go in and you could learn how to use your computer better and you could learn how to use your your camera better and you could find out about how to draw and how you could and it sort of becomes a university of amazing stuff that you can learn and enhance your life with but at the same time you then say well while i'm here i might as well buy that product might as well buy that product might as well do that now imagine that's what the high street looked like i think it would be fantastic so i i look at the high street and think guys you've just got this amazing place where people who are living in one up, one down houses, uh, and what, and yeah. staring at a square screen in the corner of them would love to come and interact with other people and 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 um, and share experiences and knowledge and and exchange skills and all that sort of thing. Now, if that was what the high street was like, I would buy what was in that that shop, um, and I just love that idea. And I think I think the high street needs to reinvent itself and so it become a, a go to place for experience and, and, and service and all that sort of thing. All the stuff that I'm definitely not going to get on, online or I'm going to have to do it all on my own. Well, it's, uh, that sounds absolutely fantastic. I couldn't think of a place I'd rather be. Um, you know, the number of times you walk into a shop or into a store and, uh, you know, you're, you're an inconvenience to those people. It'd be lovely to go in and, and be welcomed and, and wanted and uh, and encouraged to to be a part of the place that would be um be absolutely fantastic does that build into or add into the the value proposition or is that about um more than that i i think i think your 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 as i said before the value proposition has to be the foundation stone for all of that so of course if that is if that and for me a value proposition has has four sets of values in the first set of values your behavioral style um uh, so in other words, what's your style of doing business because we buy from people we, we like but who are like us. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the second set of values are how do you benefit people. So what are the benefits that you're, you're creating as a result of your product or your service? And the, the third set of values are your beliefs. So what do you want people to believe about the, the product, about the service that you're providing? Um, and the final thing is that what do you want to be famous for? And they all begin with B, so behaviors, mm-hmm. bits, beliefs. What do you want to be? Now, all of those, when you start to work through them, you, if you want to be famous on the high street for, for a place, a go-to place where you can learn everything about 
you know, photography, computers, books, uh, writing, whatever, fashion. Uh, you know, imagine, imagine it was a, you walked into a, an M&S and they, they dressed you. They said, oh, let's look at you. Let's do a color thing on you. Let's blah, blah, blah. These are all the clothes you should wear. These will look really good on you, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That expertise is, you know, it used to be handed down by your, by your mother and your father and stuff and generations gone by. And that's not being passed on anymore. The retailers know mm-hmm. all this stuff. So why aren't they, why aren't they educating us? And they're educating us to wear their clothes. And so, so I think it's absolutely part of the value proposition. If that's what you believe in, if that's what you, your product or service, how it can benefit people and how it can, how it can deliver an amazing experience as well through, through your style. If you don't believe it, then I don't. Well, I don't understand how you can go into business without a belief like that, unless you're in it just to make some money. In which case, uh, you know, you'll be very short-lived. That is a characteristic that I found about the professions. I don't. I very rarely believe them. So I don't believe people in the finance industry. I don't believe people in the legal world. I don't believe people in, in, in the accountancy world. I think they do what they think is right, but I don't think they believe it. Um, and why is that? Well, because I think they, they are dealing with regulations and compliance and, and, and social control. And so they personally mm-hmm. cannot invest in. So, so, so a, a, you know, a, a good, a good uh, lawyer might defend a murderer or it might, might prosecute a murderer. So they, they, the, the law tells them not to believe. They, the law says follow the law. You know, uh, right. an accountant will follow the numbers. They might not, you know, and you and I have we've been running businesses for a long time. That you know, you go in and say, yeah, things are going great, and they say, well, no, actually, your numbers don't say that. <laughs> go or, or, or you go, okay, well, okay, well, but I, I, you have to. I'm selling confidence and passion and belief and all that sort of yeah. thing. That's what I'm selling, and, they, and the accountant says, yeah, but. But I'm looking at your numbers, and I can't see you doing that. <laughs> you know, so. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I get. I mean, you know, being an accountant at heart, and still, still pay my subs for whatever reason. I look at that and think, do you know what? That just shouldn't be how it is. The, um, you know, there's opportunity in the professions to, um, to become real advisors to business, to be facilitators and helpers. Absolutely. And I think if you get a, you get a good accountant and a good lawyer together. You should be able to build a really great business. Yes, um, but I think you, you're right. They're too worried about um, you know all the negatives, and I guess you're taught that way. Oh, absolutely! No, no, it's not. It's not their fault. Yeah. I'm sorry. Anyway, yeah. anyway, you were going to say, but uh, but there is opportunity there. That that's for sure. Um, what I was going to say before is that you and I have chatted before about about the you know value in business and and how that sits within service, and and I know you've got a very clear view on ease of use and convenience. Um, what, what what do you think is more, most important? Is it is it the ability to to or the ease of working with somebody, or is the value more important? Yeah, so I I, I, I searched long and hard for a for a, a great formula for value. Uh, and there's a, a, a gentleman called Hewitt who wrote a great formula for value uh, a long time ago, uh, which was then um, ref- used in the Harvard Business Review, and other people have, have taken it on. And for me, the, the, the formula for value is, and it's, it is a true formula, so you kind of have to imagine this, is value equals, uh, and, and then there's a line which divides two, two, two formulas. So value equals product quality plus service quality divided by, so a line underneath, price paid plus ease of doing business. And mm-hmm. if you're in the manufacturing industry, you, you, people tend to err towards it's all about the product quality and the price paid. So it's all about doing deals and getting volume and all that sort of stuff. But actually, 
the perception of value, and I think Gallup have done a, a, a big piece of research on this, the perception of value is all about service quality divided by ease of doing business. And actually, right. um, product quality is much less relevant today because we know there's lots of choice and actually the chances are everybody's about there or thereabouts with the product quality. So, you know, yes, there might be. Mm -hmm. And in terms of price pay, people don't mind paying a little bit more if the service is great and getting it is really easy. And that's, that's really, if you look at the brands that have emerged in the last uh, five, 10 years, whether it is starting with the Ubers and the Expedias and the, uh, um, the Amazons and the Ebays, and all, they're all about service quality and ease of doing business. Um, mm -hmm. And, and they're, they're, they're going gangbusters at the moment. Um, you know, okay, they have them flow as, as, as businesses, but and that's because they're delivering what people want. They want the great service and they want, mm -hmm. they want it to be easy to do. And actually, they don't mind paying a little bit more uh, and they're not as much worried about the, the product. Go on to Amazon, there's thousands of products, you know. Now, of course, the reason why I don't need to worry about it because if it arrives and it's not very good, I just, I just don't even, as you said, stick a label on it. I just put it back in the bag and put it, take it to the post office and it goes back and I get my money back. So, so you kind of instinctively know that who would run a business that would risk sending out rubbish product so it keeps getting sent back and be out of business in no time. So, so, yeah, so yeah. generally the stuff that arrives is broadly as it's described. So, um, so the product quality and the, and the, and the price paid is sort of a, is, is diminished. And, and the, the Gallup research says it's, you know, it's only 15% of, of people's belief or value. Value is driven by service uh, quality and, and ease of doing business. And I really like that formula. I think that fits with what I, how no, I, I see the world. I think it makes lots and lots of sense, doesn't mm. it? Mm. There's uh, there's there's some real truth even even on the high street. If you look at people, you know, brands like John Lewis and uh, and their Waitrose brand, you know, people understand that Waitrose is is more expensive, or they believe it's more expensive. The reality actually is that it's not. It just uh, my my theory with Waitrose is really simple. I go in there and I go to buy a, a loaf of bread. Well, a loaf of bread costs the same in Waitrose as it does in Tesco, Sainsbury's, and everywhere else. The problem is that they surround the bread with other nice things, which I then buy, <laughs> and my shopping trolley basket goes up and up and up. Um, but there is certainly a perception that you're paying a little bit more, but you get a little bit more. Yeah, I think I, I think um, there's something else going on there, which, of course, the, 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 the Sainsbury's and Tesco's use uh, a, a, a marketing strategy which is led by KVIs, known value mm -hmm. items. So what you'll do is you'll go into a Tesco's and a Sainsbury's and you'll find a loaf of bread for 50p because that's the thing they've drawn you into the shop so you spend money elsewhere. Whereas I think you'll yeah. find that brands like, like Waitrose and Marks Spencers don't do that as readily um, uh, uh, and they don't use the KVI strategy to bring people in. That, the sort of loss leader Exactly strategy. that, yeah, exactly that. So, so uh, I, think, I think there can be a price perception that it is cheaper to buy the, the staple goods in, in, in the big supermarkets than in the likes of... Of but you're absolutely right. You don't just buy bread; you buy other stuff as well. And then it's all on a par, isn't it? So, well, in, in reality, no one's going to drive from one place to another um, unless they've got a lot of time on their hands. You know, to to, to go and buy your milk, bread, and and other staples at one place, and then go and buy the other bits and pieces at another isn't isn't necessarily um, the way forward. But what I am really interested in, I think, with that is is the is the rise of the online brands. Um, and how they how they bring um, the, the shopping experience into a home. Um, and I think Ocado have done a very good job of that. But what's interesting with them is that they have now removed Waitrose as their 
um, chief supplier and is swapping that to Marks and Spencer. Right. It'd be quite interesting to see how that that works. Yes, well, I think I think they I I think Waitrose is still probably beyond the the, the mass market, um, whereas whereas Marks and Spencer have cleverly moved into that, um, and uh, um, so you see them at railway stations and and and, and in. Uh, mm-hmm. In petrol stations and things like that. It's a quite an interesting strategy that to move away from the, the big stores. So people kind of see them more as a normality, whereas Waitrose is probably still a little bit of a special uh, place to go. That's oh, very true. Maybe my uh, my theory on Marks and Spencer is wrong. Maybe Marks and Spencer will be seen by my children as a convenience store and a petrol station. I, well, I think that's absolutely uh, right. But I think that's more likely. That's more likely. Right. So the uh, yeah, only time will tell. Barnaby, it's been absolutely lovely chatting with you, and I could go on and on. It's a, it's a fascinating area to to talk around. Um, what I would love is people to be able to get in touch with you if they'd like to do that. What's the best way for them to, to get hold of you? Uh, probably the best way is to visit my uh, my website, www.barnabywinter.com, and that's winter with a Y, just to be awkward. Um, uh, yep. uh, there's a long family story to that uh, involving alcohol, <laughs> I believe, but uh, um, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't tell that now. But, uh, yeah, so www.barnabywinter.com. Uh, go there. There's a form at the bottom that you can, you can email me straight away. I'll respond if I'm, if I'm near a machine. Um, straight away uh, is probably the best way. I mean, you could look me up on LinkedIn, and if you just type my name into into Google, you'll see there's plenty of bits and pieces on that as well. So I'm not I'm not too difficult to find. Well, to I think if you know anybody who's who's substituted a letter in their name to make it easier for them to find online, I think that was very clever of your family, regardless of how it uh, how it <laughs> happened in the first place. And what's the uh, what's the link for your your just giving uh, 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 account? No. So James, the the link to my my uh, page is www.justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash barnaby hyphen winter and that's w-y-n-t-e-r so uh, and some fantastic charities there as well so uh, people can take their pick i guess uh, absolutely and how they support you but i'd love it if they did um and one last thing before we wrap up barnaby what's the one thing what's the golden nugget you'd like people to leave with to make their businesses better today um, I think you must always put the buyer first in when you're designing anything in your business. So to so when you're designing your systems and processes, walk in your customers' shoes. Fantastic. Thank you, Barnaby. It's been great chatting with you. Uh, have a fantastic day and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you very much, Susan. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of The Only One Business Show and I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts and in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.